got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to go to Isaiah. Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament. And uh, if you can't find Isaiah uh, right off the bat, no shame. It's not the, the easiest book to find in the Bible. Um, but it's, it's kind of in the middle. Um, uh, you can certainly go to the table of contents. But if you, as you look at your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it's right smack dab in the middle. Isaiah 56. I want to say welcome. Also, I'm Brian. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church, and it's good to have each and every one of you here this morning. I know we've got some guests with us, and I just want to say special welcome uh, to our guests this morning. We are finishing up a sermon series today, and over the past uh, several weeks, we've been on this journey together, uh, rest, finding rest in a restless world. And our journey began several weeks ago, and uh, we were reminded, again, that right into the creation of the world, God put right into the creation of the world, into the DNA of the universe, this idea of rest. This is not a peripheral theme to scripture. I mean, right from the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, on the seventh day, God rested. And God looked around and he invited everyone else to just take a break, to breathe and to rest. And God said, this is the rhythm of time that I have created for all of the world, all of the universe. Go, 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 rest. And then we moved on to the book of Exodus, and we're reminded of this great story where God rescues uh, Moses uh, and the Israelites uh, out of Egypt, and there's, they're traveling towards the promised land. Moses climbs up uh, Mount Sinai, and God etches right into stone and reminds God's people again, hey, I've given you a gift of rest. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And Sabbath literally means seventh day of rest. It's a day that's carved out as a gift for God's people. It made the top 10 of what's really important. But God's people continued to forget how important rest was in their lives. And so then we moved on to the book of Leviticus and the Levitical code and all the rules and the reminders. And time and time again, God said, hey, I just want you to rest. Take a break. It's kind of like your boss might say to you, hey, take the rest of the afternoon off. Go golfing. Go watch a ball game. Sit in your hammock. Take your family on a picnic. Just go. Rest. Play mini golf, right? <laughs> just hang out together with me, God of the universe, and with your loved ones. And it's built right into the Levitical code. And then last week, uh, Tom Anderson uh, shared the good news with us uh, from a New Testament passage. And Jesus is reminding um, and, and also reinforcing this idea of Sabbath rest. Seven days are, is the flow that God created. Six days go, 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 but on the seventh day rest. And Jesus reminds us that God has given us this gift of Sabbath rest as a gift of his grace. Not because we deserve it or earn it or anything like that, simply because he loves us so much. He says, I want you to rest, not by earning favor with God, but this is for you. God doesn't need to rest, you need to rest. And this is why God gave us Sabbath rest. 
And throughout scripture, we come across this word Sabbath 172 times. And like the ancients, we also fail to remember how important this is. Over 100 times in the Old Testament, about 70 times in the New Testament, we see this word Sabbath rest. And, and, and at the same time, we think to ourselves, oh, this is just one of those you know, outdated, Old Testament, uh, optional kind of teachings from Scripture. But folks, this theme keeps showing up time and time again. The rest is vital. It's essential. How many of us would go throughout the week and say, you know, I'm just not going to eat this week. I'm just not going to um, breathe this week. I'm just not going to drink this week. I mean, we would never say that, right? But so often we're like, oh, rest, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. And so the goal, really, honestly, folks, of this sermon series has been to really heighten your awareness of how important rest is in our lives. It is essential as eating and drinking and breathing. We need rest. And I'm not sure I've convinced all of you. I got one more day to work on it today. Because it's hard, right? We're not used to this idea of rest. We're not really sure what to do with it. But, you know, over the past few weeks, if you've been here, we've also talked about the consequences of not resting, right? We've looked at several stories of when people don't rest, there are consequences. We look at history outside of scripture and the consequences of people not resting. And it's never good, folks. Right? And I want to remind you again today, as we live in a 24-7 culture, we are getting sicker and sicker and sicker because we are not resting. We are literally dying because we're not resting. The CDC came out with a report that for the third year in a row, life expectancy in America is declining. We are dying because we are not resting. I just cannot emphasize this enough. Folks, we need to value rest. And when we don't rest, there are consequences. And we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so today, we come to uh, the book of Isaiah. And I want to encourage you uh, to uh, really... Uh, hear what God has to say to us uh, again uh, today. Now, I get it. FOMO is powerful today, right? Fear of missing out. <laughs> and you might even be thinking about what you're missing out on this morning or throughout the week. But for just a moment, I want to invite you to put FOMO aside and really hear God's word for your life. And here's the thing, I mean, this is true with all scripture, but this is really true with Sabbath rest. It's not just enough to believe it, but we gotta live it, we gotta practice it. I mean, it's kinda like that exercise equipment at your house that's drying clothes right now, right? <laughs> not really serving the purpose that it's made for. It's the same thing with Sabbath rest. We can be convicted all day long that we really ought to be resting, but if we are not building it into our calendars, into our weekly schedules, it's just a good, maybe interesting, semi-interesting talk on Sunday morning, right? 
And I got to tell you, this has been one of the most challenging sermon series for me. It's just been really stirring up in me a whole lot of stuff. And my grass and my lawn is getting longer and longer. And my to-do list um, is getting longer and longer because I'm trying to live into this, guys. And this is hard. And a lot of my projects are not getting done around the house <laughs> because I'm, I'm spending time in my hammock. I really am. I mean, this sermon series is for me, too. Maybe it's just for me. I don't know. <laughs> Some of you guys have shared with me that it's really challenged you, and I, I praise God for that because I, my, my hope is, my prayer is, um, that this would really go to your heart and then uh, out into your life and how you're living. And this morning I kind of want to wrap all this up by just saying, you know, we, we practice Sabbath rest as a gift for us. This is for you. This is not for God. God doesn't go, oh, that's really great. You're, you're doing a great job. Way to go. This is for you. This is for your benefit. This is for your health. Um, um, but, but also, I want to finish up today by saying this is also a witness, a testimony to the world. Keeping Sabbath rest invites us to share Jesus with the world. Have you ever thought about that? That's pretty extraordinary. And oftentimes as I talk to many of you, um, you're like, yeah, I'm not so good at evangelism, right? But this is really a message about evangelism and how we are proclaiming Jesus out into the world. And so as you hear this morning from Isaiah, as we hear from Isaiah this morning, I want you to think about Sabbath rest as a witness to the world. I, okay, did I give you guys enough time to get to Isaiah? I wanted to give you guys plenty of time because it's, it's, it's not easy to find. Isaiah, um, uh, where are we? There we go, uh, 56. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite us to pray before we uh, jump here, in here and, and read this. Oh God, we thank you uh, that you are a God who invites us um, to hear your word, to reflect on your word, to chew on your word, and then God, to live your word. And so, Lord, as we hear uh, these ancient words again, we pray that your Holy Spirit might move among us, speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, uh, that we may bring your good news uh, to the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, I should give you guys some context about Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who lived uh, about 700 years uh, before Jesus was born. And uh, if you've ever been to uh, a church service before Christmas, uh, you've probably read an Isaiah text before because Isaiah was a prophet. And prophets in ancient times, they spoke about prophecies in the, in, into the future. And Isaiah spoke many times about, hey, the Messiah is coming, and this is what the Messiah is going to look like. And there are many prophecies throughout uh, the book of Isaiah speaking of the coming Messiah and Jesus coming into the world. But the secondary role of a prophet in ancient times is not to just talk about the future, but to speak into the present and to speak the hard words of truth in the here and now. And prophets were often very countercultural. Prophets oftentimes didn't live very long because the king or somebody in power didn't like what they had to say. But God said, here's what I want you to tell the people because it's that important. Prophets were not popular people. They spoke the hard words that the people needed to hear. And so uh, Isaiah is going to speak to us this morning. 700 years uh, before the coming of Jesus, and uh, Isaiah had something to say to God's people, the Israelites, about how they were living in their day and time. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand. 
and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound by the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. What Isaiah is saying here is this is this idea of Sabbath rest. When you practice Sabbath rest, you will be blessed. And it's not just for you Israelites. He starts talking about the foreigners among them. And let no eunuch complain. I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose to please uh, what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. Eunuchs were not Jewish people. They were, they were God-fearers, um, but they were not uh, 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 Jewish people. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give to them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So again, Isaiah is saying, hey, this is also a message for eunuchs. Religious people that are not Jewish. I've got good news for them too. So a second time, Isaiah is saying, hey, look at these outsiders who are practicing Sabbath. Good things are going to happen when you practice Sabbath. And then um, verse 6, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles uh, of Israel, I will gather still others to them, besides those already gathered. So three times... Isaiah is saying, hey, this message is not just for you Jews. This is not just for the insiders. This is a message for everyone that when you follow Sabbath, you will be blessed. This is just how it works. When you practice a regular rhythm in your life, you will benefit. This is just good news. Even if you don't believe in God or Jesus or any, anything religious at all, practicing rest is a good thing and you will benefit from it. And we've talked about this the last few weeks. And Isaiah is saying, this is really good news for everybody. And he's almost kind of taunting the Jewish people saying, you guys aren't practicing this, this rhythm of rest, so I'm going to go outside the house of Israel and proclaim this good news to others and just invite them to experience God's Sabbath rest in their lives. This is an extraordinary message. And I think we miss what, what a radical message Isaiah is talking about here because this is not how Jewish people operated. They, they were a people set apart. And they didn't really care about the world around them and all the, the non-Jewish people because God had called them his chosen ones and said, I, I'm going to take care of you and watch over you, and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. And so I want you to just live holy lives, and when you live holy lives, you can't help but bless the rest of the world. 
See, when you talk to a Jewish person, even today, about evangelism, it doesn't really compute to them. Because Jewish people don't think about going out. The whole uh, how things worked was people were supposed to see how holy they were and they would want to come in. And Isaiah is saying, hey, when you practice Sabbath rest, the world is going to see and others are going to be blessed through it. This is just a radical, radical teaching that is going on here. See, God had two signs with the Jewish people that set them apart. Back with the Abrahamic covenant, you might remember back in Genesis, God said, I'm going to give you a sign, and it was circumcision, right? And that was an internal sign that they weren't wearing on the outside so that the world could see. But it was for the Jewish people to know. This sets us apart from all the other cultures, all the other religions. But then there was the external sign between God and God's people. And that was keeping Sabbath. They were these signs. And when they practiced Sabbath keeping, people around them would go, oh, there's something really different about them. And in ancient cultures, everybody knew this practice of Sabbath keeping was really, really, really different because none of the other ancient cultures practiced Sabbath. They just went seven days a week and they never stopped. They never slowed down. But the, the, the cultures would look around and go, what is up with these Jewish people, these Israelites? One day a week, they stop working and they just worship their God Yahweh, what is up with that? It was an incredible witness and testimony. And here's what's else. Not, not only did people know this, but they leveraged this against the Israelites, especially in times of war. Right? And it seemed like people were always invading, always coming after the Israelites. And the, the other cultures knew that on the seventh day, the Jewish people had put down their weapons and they were not going to go on the offense. And they used it as a tactical advantage to attack the Israelites on, on the Sabbath day because they knew that they were resting on that day. And so the, the Israelites, they were actually allowed to defend themselves on the Sabbath day, but they were to never go on the offense. Think about that. It was God's way of saying, hey, take a break from even war. Just rest. And so the other cultures knew this. And sometimes they would rest, even in the midst of war. This is extraordinary. I mean, the Israelites were so different than everyone else. They were so countercultural to all the other cultures around them. It was their way of saying, hey, on this day, we're just going to put down our weapons. We're going to stop working. We're going to stop doing everything and worship God and just be uh, in fellowship with one another and with our God. And it was an extraordinary statement of faith. God, on this day, my stuff, I'm just giving it to you. On this day, I'm not going to worry about all the other garbage, all the other challenges, all the other struggles in my life. I'm just going to give it over to you. And it was an extraordinary statement that was so countercultural. And of course, what, you know what the other cultures did around them? They said, what's up with these Jewish people? 
Why do these Israelites behave in this way? They are so countercultural to all that is going on in the world. I mean, what a great question, right? Don't you wish people would come up to you and say, hey, your behavior, your calendar looks really different. What's up with you? And of course, the Jewish people would say, we just happen to believe that we serve a God who's going to provide for us. That we don't have to worry about all of our junk. That we worship a God that who just, he's going to take care of us. And we don't have to stress about all the stuff in our daily lives. And it became an extraordinary witness to the world. Isn't that crazy? I just, I just love that. How just living and into the Sabbath rest became a witness to the entire world. It's not gotten any easier, has it? To live counter-culturally. In fact, today I think it maybe even is, is at least as difficult, if not more difficult, to practice Sabbath rest, to live counter-cultural. Because the culture is really powerful, right? There is just so many things coming at us day in and day out, and it's so easy to kind of go with the flow. And so today I want to invite us to think about what it might mean for us to be and live countercultural, leveraging Sabbath rest in the world. And I want to give you just a little illustration to kind of think about this. Um, shortly after Cindy and I graduated from college at St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota, everyone say, yeah, sure. Yes, we went to a very Norwegian school, uh, Lutheran school in Minnesota, but right after we graduated from college, we bought one-way tickets uh, to Anchorage, Alaska. And we were kind of the adventuresome types, and uh, we weren't so much uh, lured there to Alaska by adventure, but more because we were poor. And uh, we had, uh, back in the early 90s, there was a rumor uh, going around college campuses that you could spend uh, a few months in uh, Alaska working at a fish cannery and you could make oodles and oodles of money. It was kind of like the gold rush, right? Just everybody move to Alaska, pay off all your student loans kind of thing. And this is before the days of the internet. And so we're like, okay, let's sign up. And so we bought plane tickets uh, to go to Anchorage, Alaska. And so when we got there, it was really interesting. Uh, there was a fishing strike going on and so uh, for, for the fishermen. And so we're like, well, Let's see Alaska, here we are. So we hitchhiked all over Alaska around the Kenai Peninsula, spent a couple weeks up in Fairbanks, uh, stopped about a week in Denali National Park, and we just kind of took in all the sights and sounds of uh, Alaska, and it was awesome. And after a few weeks, uh, the fishing strike was over, and we were hired at a fish cannery. So we scooted back to um, Anchorage, um, got on a small plane, flew 400 miles, um, west uh, towards the Aleutian Islands out to this little fishing village uh, in Bristol Bay called Dillingham and there was nothing there but a fish cannery and uh, it was summertime it was about this time of year and uh, it was really fun being in Alaska for the summer because uh, I worked outside and I would watch the sun uh, go around uh, the sky and then for a few hours it would dip below and then come back up it was just like a summer with uh, almost no darkness at all. It was pretty cool. So Cindy um, got hired uh, in the what was known as the egg house and she packaged fish eggs uh, day in and day out, uh, caviar I guess if you will, and these eggs got shipped on to uh, Tokyo, Japan 
And uh, she's got a whole bunch of stories about that. But my, my, my own uh, experience was I was out on the fishing dock. And my role was when the fishermen would come in with these uh, uh, boats filled with sockeye salmon, I would stand out on the dock and I had what was, looked like a giant vacuum cleaner. And it was about, you know, the, the, with a, 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 a hole about this big. And I would go out to the fishing boats and I would suck up fish. Uh, thousands of pounds of sockeye salmon. They would go into a hopper. They would make their way onto a conveyor belt uh, into the fish cannery. It was known as the slime line for obvious reasons, right? <laughs> it was very gross, very disgusting. And then at a certain point in time, when I couldn't reach any more of these uh, fish, um, uh, I would put on hip waders up to here. I would jump down in, and I was surrounded by fish for hours on end, sucking up fish, getting them onto the hopper, onto the conveyor belt, into the slime line, day in and day out. And what we learned in the end is, uh, the reason why people were making so much money working at the fish canneries is because they were working 16, 18, 20 hour days. I remember a day that I worked 22 hours, and they said, oh, you, you can uh, clock out now. So I went to sleep in the tent and uh, came back out and there uh, two hours later and some more fishing boats had come in. And, and so you just made all your money because you just worked all summer long around these stinky uh, fish, right? And it was very, very interesting. I got to spend a lot of time with um, some Alaskan fishermen, some salty Alaskan fishermen. And yes, they uh, cussed like sailors for sure. And I, it was a, just a very interesting cultural experience. But one of the things I learned from those uh, salty fishermen was about salmon, sockeye salmon. And sockeye salmon, if you know anything about sockeye salmon, is they spend about seven, eight years of their lives swimming around in the ocean, in the salt, cold salt water ocean of the Atlantic. And at just the right moment in time, these fish, after seven, eight years, start swimming toward shore. And they make their way toward freshwater rivers. And for the next few months, these fish, these sockeye salmon, are swimming upstream, sometimes up to 900 miles upstream. And they will swim not only 900 miles upstream, but they will climb in elevation up to 7,000 feet up river. And they will jump up to 12 feet up waterfalls. It's an extraordinary thing. Do we have a picture up there, Jenny, for us? I mean, you've probably seen pictures of this, right? You got another one, Jenny? Yeah, it was a very perilous journey. <laughs> Upriver, there were not just obstacles of waterfalls and, and all and trees and everything else, but of course animals. They're, they were there for the picking, right? But there's these sockeye salmon swimming upriver hundreds of miles, day after day, week after week, month after month. And finally, when these sockeye salmon would finally get way in river, way far up, they would get to these little streams where the water's kind of calm and peaceful and kind of rocky beds, and that, that was called the, the uh, where they would spawn, right? Where they would lay their fish eggs. It's an extraordinary journey of swimming upstream. And I want to share that story with you this morning and just kind of put that image in your head this is what it's like to live the Christian journey, right? All the current, all the momentum of the culture is pushing against us. 
day after day after day after day. And I think about the beautiful thing of these sockeye salmon swimming upstream so that they can lay eggs for future generations to be born. And guess what? If those, those fish don't make it, what happens? Future generations don't happen, right? I mean, you, you, there's no credit for swimming halfway up the river and then laying your eggs. You got to get all the way to the, to the spawning ground or it's over. It's an all or nothing thing for these sockeye salmon and many, most don't make it upstream because the journey is so hard, it is so perilous. But I think this is the metaphor of what it means to be a Jesus follower today. How many of you know that we are swimming against the culture today, right? I mean, you guys feel, you maybe come in here this morning or throughout your week, you're just like, I feel like I'm swimming upstream. I feel like I'm jumping, you know, 12 feet up in the air just to get upstream, but everything is fighting against me. I've got bears and all sorts of animals attacking me, but it's just that, that constant keep going, keep going every single day, going upstream day after day after day. And so I want to ask you this morning a riddle. What do you call a sockeye salmon going with the flow downriver? Dead. What do you call a Christian who just goes with the flow of culture? I know those are hard words to hear this morning, folks but I think it's the same for us. We have got to be people who are living countercultural, or we're dead. And if we're dead, the next generation doesn't hear about Jesus. And this has always been God's strategy for making a witness to him in the world. And for the Jewish people, it began with Sabbath rest. This will be a sign so that other people will see and know that I am God and I am good. And then when Jesus came along, he said, this is the sign that you surrender your lives to Jesus and follow him. And it's, it's, it continues to be a message that is so countercultural. And here we are today, and I think the invitation and the witness is the same. How are we going to live our lives? Just floating on down the stream? Just look, our calendars look like everybody else's calendars? Or are we going to swim upstream and be a witness to the world? It's hard words, isn't it? You thought this sermon was gonna sermon series was gonna end on a high note, and you were all gonna walk out and feel really good and be like, "Ah, oh, this is awesome! Sabbath rest is optional, right?" I don't think it is. I think it's hard work. It's been hard work for me, and I hope it's been hard work for you because when we take Sabbath rest seriously, people are gonna notice. People are gonna look at you, and it's gonna be inconvenient. It's going to cause conflict. It's going to cause strife. And people are going to be like, you're weird. Why in the world would you take an entire day of the week and not do anything? Let me tell you. Let me tell you why. It's because I serve a God 
who says, I've got it. I serve a God who's got my best interest in mind. I serve a God who's taking care of me. For one day out of the week, I'm just going to sit back and watch what God's going to do. What only God can do. Really, that's weird. I know. Swimming upstream. And so, folks, I want to invite us to swim upstream as individuals and as a faith community to look different than the world. By the way, did you know lots of studies have been done on the lives of Christians in the church? Statistically, our lives don't look any different than the rest of the world. We are flowing down the river, right? That has got to change. That has, we have got to look different than the world. This is why the early church exploded, is because their lives looked so different. They were so generous and they were so faithful in their witness to Jesus Christ. The rest of the world looked at them and said, what is up with you guys? And the church grew and grew and grew. And so today I just want to invite you uh, with a challenge to think about how God might be calling you in your schedule, in your calendar, to go take a nap. And just as you rest, be a witness to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God uh, who just does things in our minds seemingly out of order that make no sense at all. And God, we live in a world where the current is strong and pushing at us in so many different ways. But as Jesus said in these words that uh, John Petrillo shared with us at the beginning of our worship today, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. God, may that be us, people who are swimming upstream, going against the flow of the culture, and bearing witness to how good and faithful you are. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.